When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dooley, and with me riding shotgun is Chuck Holmes. It's great to be back for another week, and it's great to talk about some real football, or spring game football at least, which is what most of today's podcast will revolve around. We are recording this on Monday evening after Chuck and I have both had an opportunity to watch the Ohio State spring game, I think multiple times for each uh, for each of us. Just as an aside, as we get closer to the season, we will usually record a little closer to our Wednesday posting as to not miss too much. Um, But, you know, Chuck and I both have kids in spring sports, which means a lot of practices during the week. And frankly, I don't think we're missing a whole heck of a lot on Monday and Tuesdays during the summer. So, um, but, you know, getting back to the spring game, I was not able to watch it live. I was at a wedding and... Let me tell you something, Chuck. Drinks do not go down like they used to, brother. Your boy attended a Mexican Catholic wedding, so heavy on the tequila. Long story short, I was playing hurt the first time I watched the game. I had one eye open, so I had to even rewatch again today to hopefully capture everything because at the end of the day, I do have a professional presence. I am a grinder, so I was on that film for a second time. But I'm really excited to talk about this one. I think it was a really fun spring game, primarily because it featured a lot of new faces, not a whole lot of points. And this is something that I look forward to every year, regardless of how much it means come August and September, which it rarely means a whole lot. Uh, So before we get in and just go a little more granular, though, Chuck, what were your general thoughts on this one? You know, this game slash scrimmage, were you pleased concerned or no feelings at all due to the general nature of it yeah you know i think you could have a little bit of both and and not be wrong i think it's a scenario where the choppiness was a little concerning only because that's not what we're now used to at ohio state i know uh if jim trussell was still the head coach we would have been like oh this is this is what we do right and this is the scenario and this is how Football's played, but that's not how Ryan Day has ran his program. That's not how his offense has looked the way it looks Saturday. So that, to me, is a little concerning. It wasn't sexy. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't sexy football. Well, it wasn't. And, and let's be honest, and, and we are, we'll get into this a little more, it wasn't productive football either on the no. offensive side. I mean, the offense was was dominated in this. And that's a good sign for 
when everybody went into the offseason saying this defense has to be quote-unquote fixed, that's a good sign that it looked quote-unquote fixed on a lot of that day. So that part of it's reassuring. In the end of the day, none of it really matters. Obviously, we've had this conversation before. None of it matters. Justin Fields had an awful spring game and went to New York as a Heisman finalist that same year. Everybody was worried. That being said, uh, we're, we're a little worried about the offense, and they've got some work to do. Now, they've got four months to figure it out, so I think they will, but they've got some work to do. This isn't just walk in and uh, start fall camp and you're ready to go by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I think that's fair. Everyone says that we don't want to overreact and then we overreact, but only in like certain little areas, right? We didn't look at that. I don't think either one of us came away from the game where we're like, oh man, this this offense is never going to score. You know, it, it's trash, it's garbage, it's going to fail. It's just like, eh, Keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on that. And so that's what you do with all of these spring games. There are schools that, you know, barely even put on the pads or it's just these crazy sort of like systems and scoring, uh, you know, like scoring setups that don't even almost reflect real football. But I'll give it to Ryan Day and the Ohio State program. Like this was a real sort of inner squads or intra squad scrimmage. And I think that there was plenty of contact because these coaches and these guys have all talked about competition since the end of the year. It's going to be a theme moving forward for this team that frankly got a little bit bullied last year by certain opponents. And so it, it was good to see that, you know, it's not, you don't want to see it on your, your starting quarterback, your Marvin Harrison juniors, guys like that. But there was some hitting going on, you know, there was some tackling. I think it was, Kojo Antwi got popped, like really popped at one point. I think it was in the third quarter, and like he looked pissed. But you sort of want to see that from time to time out of your team, you know, just knowing that, that they know the stakes and that they know what is on the line with jobs and competition and all that good stuff. So what Chuck and I wanted to do here is just sort of try and take a thousand-foot view of things. I, I don't know that we're going to get super granular when it comes to breaking down all of the quarterback play, although we do want to get into plenty of that. We're not going to break down the all 22 of the offensive linemen and be like, hey, this is why that didn't work. Um, we want to do stock up, stock down. Not a novel concept. We didn't create it, but I, th I think it's sort of fun. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a draft. We're going to do a stock up draft, not so much on the stack, stock down because we're not negative dudes, but I think that there were plenty of like interesting things to take from the spring game, and I would say primarily positive, so that's why we're going to go heavy on that end of the draft, and I, I look at a spring game, it's almost like a movie preview, right? You get to see the big stars for just a little bit, maybe a couple big action sets, but you know that that may not be entirely accurate or reflective of the movie. So that's just sort of what's in store for this episode. But we wanted to remove one person, one position, one sort of entity out of the draft entirely and break it down a little bit further. I know Chuck is even more passionate about this. So we're just going to jump in on Kyle McCourt first before we get to that draft. The Ohio State quarterback position battle is 
Well, you know, frankly, it hasn't been much of a battle. Actually, the last couple of years, you know, it was in a sense for a, for a brief second between C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord, but, you know, Stroud won that so early and he won it going away. And, you know, before that it was Justin Fields and so on and so forth. It has sort of been handed off, but you knew what was coming because, you know, a lot of the guys, you had seen them before. And with Kyle McCord, I know that I personally get upset by Ryan Day's lack of, like, willingness to let him throw the ball and play like a real quarterback. But we just haven't seen what he's really capable of. Sands the one start he had against, I want to say, Toledo. But all eyes were on him Saturday because of the fact that Devin Brown broke a, a finger, fractured a finger. I think it was his pinky, if I'm not mistaken. And so it was Kyle McCord and Christian Gebbia who is not really part of the conversation unless we're talking emergency depth. But I'll open it up to you, Chuck. The floor is yours. I'm going to let you cook. Where were you and where are you on the Kyle McCord performance before I sort of give my two cents? I think this was a an indictment on Kyle McCord. And when we saw Kyle McCord in the past, and, and you mentioned that, that there was always the conversation of, well, why when he's in the game, how come Ryan Day doesn't let him cook and doesn't let him get these reps that we think he needs? I think part of it was he didn't think he was ready. And I think yesterday, or I'm sorry, Sunday, Saturday, Saturday. Was it was Saturday. Game. You're right. Yeah, it, it only took a couple Saturday. tries. Yeah. Yeah, football's generally played on Saturday in the college ranks. Saturday, it was an indictment on that because he wasn't sharp by any means. Now, I don't believe that this means Kyle McCord is trash and going to have a terrible year and we're going to have no quarterback uh to even line up to watch when Ohio State takes off. But today or Saturday was not a good start for him. He was one read and either run or one read and throw. And it was whether he was open or not. His receiver, he could have easily thrown four or five picks. And it was literally because he just two steps, three steps, four steps, whatever it was. And the ball came out every time. So that part is a little concerning that there was a time early in the game where he was trying to go to Marv on, I think it was third and two or third and three, and he just ran a simple hitch that Burke never bid on. Like Burke literally did not even go as deep as Marvin. He read the, the play and he was just standing there. Like he never left the sight line of Kyle McCord and he still threw the ball. The one that he threw that C.J. Hicks almost picked off was the same thing. Hicks never left his sightline. He was underneath that route the entire time, and he never even considered a second look in that scenario. So the other part of it that was, to me, was concerning, and this is, uh, this is a completely t uh, intangible part of it, C.J. Stroud got away with being less of a quarterback and leader of the team externally like you never really that was you know he, he kind of got knocked because he was just kind of there but he was throwing for 450 yards and had an accuracy that you know it wasn't his personality and that's okay but it was because he had otherworldly talent that it was okay Kyle McCord it's it's obvious he doesn't have CJ Stroud's arm talent 
he could be a really good quarterback at Ohio State, but the accuracy is not there. The reading of the defense is just isn't at Stroud's level. And I don't feel like he's ever had a firm grasp of the team. Saturday, it never looked like he had a grasp, like, this is my team. I'm going to get these guys where they need to go, and we're going to go run this offense. He just looked like a, a part of the offense as opposed to the leader of the offense. So between those two things, it's concerning. And he's got a lot of work to do. And we've always just assumed that this was his job to win or his job to lose, that he was going to, barring something crazy happening, going to be the quarterback. But I think it's time to start listening to Ryan Day when he says, hey, they had some good days and they had some bad days and they've had some good parts of practice and bad parts of practice. He's not lying to us. And it showed on Saturday. Like Kyle McCord had some bad parts of that game that are really concerning for an Ohio State offense that is has an expectation that is higher than it's ever been. And these fans are going to expect they may not expect cj stroud performance but they're going to expect 80 to 90 percent of that out of anybody that's the quarterback as long as ryan days the, the coach here so that part is is concerning and i i don't know where where they go but it's it's going to be an interesting next four months to hear how things are going in that battle yeah i want to address the intangible part of it first because i you know I think you had some good things to say. I think you brought it home, though. You landed the plane when you said that he looked like a part of the offense. I thought that's what really kind of hit home for me because you're right. Like, we've heard good things about Kyle McCord a little bit here and there. Um, But, and I think that a lot of his teammates and his peers probably appreciate the fact that he's still at Ohio State. And he's competing rather than running. So I think that there are probably some things that we don't see. But what we do see is, you know, some of the interviews, some of the social media stuff, and then the performance on the field. And take away the throwing of the football. You're right. Like, I don't know. I guess it just, like, it lacked energy for me. And maybe that was just by design. And because some guys weren't there, but I did not see alpha behavior from Kyle McCord. And maybe it'll just take some time. Maybe he has confidence, you know, that confidence reserve, but it's not going to be sort of like evoked from him until he wins the job. Uh, Maybe it's just a workmanlike mentality where he's not going to act like the guy until he is the guy, because maybe he needs to do that for himself, you know? Um, But I'm with you. He, he looked like a cog in the wheel and not the person driving. So the intangible piece uh, aside, I also agree with most of what you had to say regarding his performance. Now, The one thing that I'll take umbrage with is the arm talent. I I think that, but I don't want to put words in your mouth either. I I see arm talent and accuracy as two different things. Um, We heard, especially coming out of high school, that Kyle McCord has a cannon. And we haven't really had the opportunity to see him 
throw many deep balls. Now, when we sort of did, he underthrew Jaden Ballard. I know you know the play I'm talking about. But then a really nice ball to Carnell Tate. And those were both maybe 30 to 40 yards. Even if he's got a 60-yard cannon, how often are you throwing those? So he needs to be better on the longer throws. Um, I think he had zip on a few of them. And then he tried to rely on his zip when he made a bad read or he made a sudden read or he saw something that wasn't there. So, you know, I, I agree with 90 to 95% of what you're saying. I still believe in the talent, but I've also been the leader of the McCord hive. Uh, I liked some of what I saw from him coming out of high school. Uh, I, I think I remember reading like S- Matt Stafford comps and I know Matt Stafford didn't win shit until the Rams went out and bought a team around him, but I always w- liked watching him play. He was a bit of a gunslinger, and I I thought that would be more of what we saw from Kyle McCord. But going back to probably the, the first thing that you said, Saturday looked like Kyle McCord, the backup, that we've seen in these games when the trust clearly isn't there. Like, I didn't care if Kyle McCord went out there and threw seven interceptions if he was chucking the ball and trying to take command of the offense. Like, it's a spring game, dude. Why are you taking the underneath stuff unless Ryan Day has come to you and said, hey, don't do anything stupid. I don't care if it's a spring game. Like, he looked so risk-averse, except for when he almost threw a couple picks. You know that Ryan Day didn't say that to him. That's not right. how he yeah, yeah, yeah. offense. That's just not it, right? He he wants him to make the right play, but the right play is given opportunities downfield, right? Like that's where they want to make that right play. So I, I don't believe that. I think he was, he looked to me like a true freshman that had just graduated college, as opposed to a guy that's been in the program for two years, two full years, right? Because he, this is his third spring. He had two full springs because he came in as an early enrollee. So this is his third spring. And he looked like a guy that just stepped on campus two months ago. And my hope there, because I I can't really disagree with that, my hope is that, again, it's just maybe he was being conservative as to not lose the job, but I don't think that that's going to win him the job. Because what we've both said, like, Ryan Day doesn't care if you're 20 for 25 for 125 yards. You know, if you're taking everything underneath, you're not making big plays. We saw it, like, whatever he threw for 180 yards, none of it was downfield with the exception of one or two passes. Um, So, I I guess from my standpoint, I would just say that was disappointing. I'm not concerned. Um... I'm not overly pleased. I would just say it was disappointing because, like I said, it's a spring game. The It doesn't matter. You can't lose the job Saturday because the other guy wasn't playing. Like, I, I would have been fine if every ball was 20, 30 yards downfield. Take the big plays. Take a risk. But he didn't do that. The, one, the biggest thing that I will kind of throw out there, though, to defend him is I don't think he had a ton of time which we're going to get to. Um, The defense on the other side, fingers crossed, looked pretty good. And he had no weapons. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. played, I think, two series. They connected on three passes. 
looked like their high school days. Um, but Noah Mekagbuka, no Julian Fleming, Cade Stover was barely out there. He didn't have any of his running backs. So I- I'm willing to wait, but I certainly wasn't wowed. And as a guy who has been in Camp McCord, I can't come away from that game and be like, cool, it's locked up. We're all set. That I think that's fair. I think the the thing that we're going to be very interested to listen to is listen to Ryan Day early in fall camp. You know, we're not going to get any updates over the summer, but early in fall camp, he's obviously been pretty forthcoming and accurate in what he's been saying about these guys this spring. Surprisingly so, right? Like he that was proven on Saturday, I think. Like his comments sure. and even after to your point like, he's been saying it. We weren't listening. Sure, absolutely. So it'll be interesting in those first seven, eight, ten practices on what he's really saying. Because there's going to have to be there's going to have to be some kind of something come out of those conversations that he has with the media because clock ticks quick in the fall, right? It, it, it's a fast process in fall camp. Fall camp, you blink, and all of a sudden that first game's here. And I just cannot imagine that he wants to be here coming into Indiana and have questions. The last thing he wants to do is pull a hardball and announce that he's starting both quarterbacks the first two games of the year. That's just not that's not Ryan Day's mentality. It just can't be. You know what? Hold up, though, Chuck. What sucks is we can't really bang on Harbaugh right now. Like, we all hated that decision last year. Now we're like, damn it. No, that's fair. I don't think it's uh, – I don't. obviously it was the right decision because then he settled on McCarthy because of it, and McCarthy was the right answer. I just don't think that's Ryan Day's mentality, that he's just a completely different coach than what Jim Harbaugh is when it comes to running his team and running his offense. He just has completely different philosophical differences – and they're not ever going to to make those same kind of decisions. So it'll be fascinating to see. Uh, Kyle McCord and Devin Brown both have some work to do if this team wants to ultimately end up where it wants to end up, which is playing for a national championship. Completely agree. And if you're comparing the two, my last thought on the subject is I don't feel worse about Kyle McCord because, again, all the things we've gone through, but I do feel better about Devin Brown's chances of winning this job now. I I was one of those people who just sort of assumed that as long as Kyle McCord looked pretty solid in a spring game, he'd be set. I, I wouldn't say that he looked solid, so I think that Devin Brown will continue to stay sort of, uh, you know, biting at his heels a little bit, at the very least. So that's been your Kyle McCord segment. Um Chuck and I are not experts, but we talked before the pod. We were both very passionate about this, and I, I think you got a good sense of that because I've been a McCord guy. Um, you guys have not heard Chuck's opinion to date yet, and so I, I hope that we were sort of playing that one down the middle, at least the best that I could. But all in all, not a special performance, but we are going to get into some guys who, I don't know, borderline did have some special performances or some ones that we can at least talk about. So we're going to get into our draft after this just to sort of give you a rundown. Again, back and forth, a few guys each on both sides of the ball, and then we'll collectively go over some of our stock down guys. But we're going to get into that right after a quick break. 
from the break. It is draft time, which makes sense because we are about uh, 10 days from NFL draft time. We're going to do this. It's not set up like the NFL draft. We're not on the clock or anything like that. But Chuck and I sort of put together a list of players on both sides of the ball. We're each going to take a turn. And we'll just give you a stock up guy whose performance stood out to us. A player who really jumped off the screen, did some good things in this game. Or, you know, did some things that maybe his peer did not, if that makes sense. And I think that will make sense as we get into this draft a little bit. So, um, as the tenured host... Chuck let me have first pick here. So the first stock up guy for me, Chuck, I'm probably cheating a little bit here. I'm going with the obvious. Give me Carnell Tate for a stock up guy. Um, I'm shocked. Let me tell you, shocked that that was the number one pick. Absolutely. Uh, Again, not a novel idea, but three catches for 42 yards. He had the long 37-yard touchdown. I am not stock up on Carnell Tate solely because of what I saw on Saturday. I'm including some of the spring comments, but that is also cheating. We want to focus on the game here, and you look at the game itself. He was on the field with the ones. Now, again, Emeka Ibuka, Julian Fleming not out there, but Carnell Tate was on the field with Marvin Harrison at the beginning of the game. I think they're running three wide for the majority of that, but neither here nor there had the... You know, arguably one of the more explosive plays of the game. Uh, I think he toasted Jair Brown on that long ball. Uh, he did have a drop, which I think was in the second half. Uh, it was a pretty clear drop, too. But like you said with Kyle McCord, people have been telling us, and I don't know how much we were listening, we're forced to listen, you know, and learn now. Carnell Tate, I think, is going to be a contributor for this team. I think there's a chance that he gets on the field early and often, and nothing I saw Saturday did anything to sort of deter me from that opinion. That's why in this draft I wanted to go out and get him first overall. Carnell Tate is a stock-up guy for me. Well, to me, that, that means you missed your first pick. And so first pick of the first draft that we did together, you blew the first pick. Not that Carnell Tate's not going to be a great Buckeye, but that just was it, – it just wasn't it, man. I got I got to be honest with you. My first pick was Chick Trainum, and here's why. We had two running backs healthy, which we can have another conversation about running back health at, at another day, but we had two running backs healthy, and he blew the doors off of Dallin Hayden during these performances, right? He was explosive. He read holes. Obviously, he had a super long 60-plus yard touchdown. He had another one that he broke for 20-plus yards. That right there, I think something like that is something for him to build on, and he can be a legit threat to be in the running back rotation even if everybody's healthy because of performances like that. Do you believe that? Honest question, you know, because we didn't talk about that before this. I like Chip Trainum, uh, Ohio guy. Uh, you know, showed us something last year playing a bunch of different positions, but they like they did not want to hand him the ball until they are absolutely forced to do so. Do you believe that he could become a part of this rotation? I do because both 
Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams have had moments where they haven't been effective. And you can say, yes, Henderson's was because he was hurt. But the fact of the matter is he was ineffective. Mayan wasn't, didn't show up to campus as the bowling ball that he is now, right? And there were moments the year before last where he wasn't effective. So I, to me, it can be. And the other part of it is he, if he's going to be available, and that's, that's different than what I said earlier, but he was the only running back that made it the entire season last year. And I know he was obviously on scout team for part of that, so that, that, that's a part of it. But he was still practicing, and he was still taking hits then, and he was still playing special teams, and he was still returning kicks. And he's the only one that made it the entire season. So there's something to that. And, and whether we want to admit it or not, until the other guys make it through another season healthy, I know they both have made it previously, but they didn't last year. And running backs, sometimes that first injury leads to another injury. And we don't know where that leads. So I'm not convinced he's going to get 1,200 yards. But if you told me he led the team in carries two to five games next year, I wouldn't be shocked. You are a madman. I like Chip Trader. I really do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to press you too much on your first pick, although, you know, if we're comparing first picks, I think mine's destined to be a star, whereas yours might be. Um, but no, all kidding aside, I don't see why he can't maybe become like the running back version of Xavier Johnson, who was still on the field with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka and Julian Flamer. Like, he didn't go away. And so... I, I still think that Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are 1A and 1B 10 times out of 10. I really do. But to your point, you know, they've had their their moments where, you know, they didn't look their best. They've had their moments where they've been banged up. And I, I'll say this for Trainum. He is physically perhaps the most impressive one. He has sort of like the the girth of a Mayan Williams, but I, I don't think he's short. You know, I wish I would have had it pulled up in front of me, but again, it took Mayan Williams a, a hot second to get there. Chip Trainum looks like a linebacker, which makes sense because he was once listed as a linebacker. Like he's a big, fast dude. So he is an Im impressive physical specimen at the very least, you know, He'll be available for goal line carries. There's no doubt in my mind, provided, you know, the ball protection, the ball security is all there. But, um, yeah, so one pick down for each of us. Um, since I had first pick, I will cede to you on this one. Do you want to do snake or alternating draft? I guess we didn't talk about that ahead of time. You want to take another pick or you want to go back and forth? No, I, I don't want you to steal my guy, so I, I want to go. And, and because all right snake it is go for it with your second pick to me it was Carson Hinsman I think he solidified himself as the center the line issues now I'm not a an offensive line professional here by any stretch of the imagination if this were a video podcast people would know that you're not an offensive line guy they would they would well, I've got a tank top on right now, so they could see that I haven't done a whole lot of offensive line drills. 
But to me, just watching with the the untrained eye, the pressure and and you're right, McCord did not have a lot of time to throw. It didn't come from straight up the middle. And when it did come from defensive tackles, there was a lot of stunning going on and there was a lot of confusion and almost all that pressure came from outside. So to me, that screams the center probably did his job in an adequate manner. Now, we're not expecting him to be uh, Billy Price today, right? We're expecting him to have just held his own, and it sure looked like he held his own. And if he takes that next half a step between now and August, to me, that's a big t- all Big Ten level performance that we're going to get out of him. Ohio State's been spoiled at the center position, and it has happened before where we didn't know that next guy who was going to step up. Um, you know, whether a guy was switching positions or really Luke Whipler was like a highly rated tackle. Harry Miller went down and it's like, oh, we, we got this Whipler guy and he's, I don't know, probably day two draft pick day three, if it, if it were me drafting, but neither here nor there. I, I, I was also impressed with Carson Hensman because, uh, how do I, because I was not unimpressed with Carson Hensman. Like if you're a center and I don't notice you throughout the game, that's probably a good thing. That's not because I don't know squat about offensive line play. It's just because you didn't stand out one way or another. But as an interior guy, it's harder, I would say, to you know kind of stand out in your blocking and things like that. So no harm, no foul is the way that I sort of look at it. And I'm still not willing to say that uh, Vic J. Cutler – is out of the running for that center position, but I think he had a high snap. I know that he's primarily running with the twos, and so, yeah, you you can't necessarily win a job, I don't, I don't think, in the spring game, but you can sort of solidify your position as the front runner, and that's what I think Carson Hinsman did because he just – he wasn't a detriment to the offense. So, um, off the board are – a reserve running back and a center. So Chuck is going after the sexy positions, whereas I have a, uh, a future All-American wide receiver. And th- this one's going to be a little tougher to defend. I know this ahead of time, but <clears throat> my second stock up guy, and we're going to go both sides of the ball, so sticking with offense here. My second stock, stock up guy is tight end Jelani Thurman. And here's why. I think he had one short catch. I think he had a ball hit him in the hands that was not, I wouldn't say it's a drop, but it was an incompletion. It was a drop. It was a drop. (laughs) I I knew this was going to be hard to defend. Other than that, he did not do a whole lot. You know, we saw Cade Stover. We saw G. Scott Jr. We saw Joe Royer, who was another physically impressive guy. None of those guys are as physically impressive, though, as Jelani Thurman. I mean, you want to talk about a monster out there, and that's why he's stock up for me because, again, to me, it was immediately noticeable that he is something different. He's not a converted wide receiver like G. Scott Jr. He's not, uh, you know... 
uh, a tough guy, two-way player like Cade Stover, who learned the position and and uh, you know really did some good things for himself. He's a little bit bigger than Joe Royer, but I mean he is legit six six, two hundred and fifty pounds. We know he's a really good athlete, and so I'm not saying that his playing time is going to come early. But in addition to what we saw Saturday, which is what we're focusing on, I'm going to bring in some of the comments. You know, coaches have talked about his willingness to get in early, stay late, talk to other guys either at his position or otherwise. And so all of those things keep adding up that, you know, in Jelani Thurman's favor. I, I would not be shocked to see him on the field. I do think he's got a long way to go, especially in blocking. But just from a physical standpoint and bringing something else to the table that no one else can, that's why Jelani Thurman is a stock-up guy for me. I don't disagree with anything you said about him. My only challenge to his stock being up is we're on year like 14 in a row of this being the year of the tight end at Ohio State. And That's we're fair. over 13. We're over 13. I don't know that it's going to be this year. You know Maybe what, though? when he's an upperclassman. So 2025 might be the year of the tight end here. But humor me. Uh, I don't know if you're saying year 14. I know you're throwing that out subjectively. But about 14, 15, I, I, I wish I had a better number for you. But there was another guy who was just a physical freak that played tight end and was the last most productive one. His name was Ricky Dudley, who was also a basketball player for the Buckeyes. Look, I'm not saying they're equals. I mean, Ricky Dudley was looked like Mr. America out there. And Jelani Thurman's an 18-year-old kid. You know, Ricky Dudley didn't break out until late, but he was a big, tall, muscular dude who nobody could sort of keep up with or stop on the football field. So... I'm not saying that Thurman is going to be Ricky Dudley, but that is sort of who he reminded me of. Ricky Dudley was 28 years ago. No, he was not. 1995, my man. Good Lord. Okay, so the 14 number was off, but my comp is not as far off as my guess was. Ricky Dudley was five head coaches ago. Gosh. That ages us, but I mean, I was just, I was that far off. Like, it doesn't seem like nearly 30 years ago, because like, Ricky Dudley was the modern tight end, essentially. Um, just apparently well before his time, and, and well before um, any other Ohio State tight end in the last two decades, but... I'll stand by it, though. Just from a physical athletic standpoint, like, there are some comps to be had there, I think. Okay, I'll, I'll let that slide. Okay. Who, who's, who's your next, since we're going snake here? I think we're going defense. Who you got on your defensive side as your first pick? Yep, we'll switch over to the defense, and <clears throat> goodness. I'm not going to go with my most obvious pick first, I'm just going to go with a guy that I was wildly impressed by, and I don't think a lot of people, many people, are thinking of or talking about, and that's Hero Canoe. Big defensive tackle out of California, uh, you know, 6'4". He certainly looks a little bit taller than that, 305 pounds. 
highly touted freshman last year, but you're talking about a guy who is probably right now behind Mike Hall Jr., Tyleek Williams, Ty Hamilton. <clears throat> you know, I don't know if I'm missing anybody right off the bat, but he was very impressive on Saturday. And um, I, I know they play different positions, although this guy could slide inside. But again, just like aesthetically, he sort of reminded me of Cam Hayward out there just because, you know, that combination of height and everything else. Like Ohio State hasn't had 300-plus pounders who are also 6'4", 6'5", on the defensive line very often the last couple of years. You know, Tyleek Williams and Michael Jr. are both listed at 6'2", 290-ish, whereas Ty Hamilton's listed at 6'3", 295. So, Hero Canoe is bigger than all of those guys, and he looked quick on Saturday. He looked disruptive. He was pushing the pile. He was credited with five total tackles, two for loss, and a sack. So, like Thurman, I think he's got a lot of work to do to maybe get snaps and find his way into the rotation. But for one day during one scrimmage, he looked awfully impressive. I don't disagree, and I think you're right. He's going to get into the rotation just because of the physical tools. And you can tell that he's a worker just because he was so raw coming in, and he doesn't look raw anymore, right? He looks like he's got some refinement to him. He's listening to the coaching. He's taking it. So if he's already doing that, he's just going to continue to improve because he started – at such a raw point, his trajectory is just so much higher than a bunch of other guys. And if he continues to work, he's going to get the the time that you think he's going to get. And he's going to wreak havoc, I think. I, I, I'm super excited about him. I'm mad that we did the snake draft now because he would have been my first pick as well. <laughs> I The height stands out to me. You know, he's not 6'8". He's not some, I guess, physical freak. But like I said, he's bigger and taller than most Ohio State defensive lineman, and he didn't look like a plotter. He didn't look like a strictly run stuffer. So that's why he really stood out to me. But I know you're up next, so who's your first but third uh, stock up guy first on defense for you? For me, it's Sonny Styles. I got to watch Sonny Styles. That's like my tape pick. Like you're not coming out of left field, though. No, I'm not. I'm not. I got to watch him play in the regional finals because I'm a my family lives in Gahanna, so we went to watch him play Gahanna Lincoln. And the physical part of it was completely overwhelming. But the part that just I fell in love with was he just had a complete control of that game. He controlled all other nine guys on the court the entire time. He knew what he was doing. He he worked at his speed. His team worked at his speed, and he executed like no other. And you can already start to see that as a 18, 19, is he even 19 yet? Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, he may not be. He This should be his first time on the field with the Buckeyes, and he got an entire fall at what should have been his senior year in high school. So he's going to end up spending so much time in that backfield this year because, same thing, he was young and he was raw. And he's going to be on that upward trajectory like Hero Canoe and get playing time that I don't think uh, those 
that don't know the local part of him are going to expect. The only frustrating thing with Styles is I think that fans are on a different sort of level than Ohio State coaches are. Every fan who has watched Sonny Styles play is like, this dude needs to be on the field for 100% of the snaps. Like, he is so physically impressive. He's <clears throat> he's a linebacker playing safety, uh, you know, except for he's not 240 pounds, but, like, he's just such a, a big, fluid, dynamic athlete. Like, you can see why he was a really productive, good basketball player. Um, just gifted like few others. So, really good pick. I... He would have been my most obvious choice. I just wanted to go a little bit off the board with Canoe, but I think the guys that we're going to talk about, I, I'd say your guy, your pick here, probably has the highest ceiling for a stock-up guy. And, I, and I'm including Carnell Tate. I'm including everyone. I think Sonny Siles could be just special, special dude. Well, then I'm going to go two for two on the defensive side because this is my – he is my favorite defensive player right now because his attitude about playing cornerback to me is he's just a killer. And it's Davison Igbenosan. I just, I loved watching him just play. He just went out there. He he's all plays. business. He, he is. He almost had a pick. He's got the SEC experience he performed in the sec he's not going to be scared of big 10 receivers he's not scared of ohio state's receivers i mean he he just doesn't yeah. care and he's going to go out there and he's going to perform he's going to be that consistent lockdown guy that they need on one side of the field and i i couldn't be more excited to watch him play i think another instance of coaches telling us the truth and us just being forced to look and listen like, Igmanosin transferred in, and the coaches were like, this guy's about his business. And he came in, and he said, I want a starting job. I don't I don't care what the pecking order is. I'm here to, to do work and, and be a starting cornerback for The Ohio State University. And, <clears throat> you know, I don't know what the depth chart would be today, but he was certainly – you know, one of the more impressive guys on the defensive side of the ball. And that's not to say that – other guys weren't, you know, we've, we previewed the list. I, I know that Jordan Hancock's not on this list. Doesn't mean he played poorly. Jordan Hancock did some things too. Um, same thing for Jair Brown, same thing for Ryan Turner. Um, but yeah, man, like Igmanosin, he looks like a dude and he's a big corner too, which I, I, I can always appreciate. Like, cause there are just certain things you can do at six two two ten that 5'10", 175 can't do. You know what I mean? And, and, and Igmanosin, he sort of looks to me like the Sonny Styles version of corner because Sonny Styles is like that big, physically kind of Debo dude. Igmanosin has a little bit of that. So really good pick. Um, but fortunately for me, I don't think our options are limited because I think the Ohio State defense looked better on Saturday. So up next with my pick, I'll go with another super sophomore for my stock next stock up player, and that's C.J. Hicks. That's Mr. Ohio, that's Mr. Linebacker in last year's class who a lot of people thought might see the field more last year, coming in as highly recruited as he was, number one or number two linebacker in the country, I think, certainly the number one guy in Ohio, and 
prior to last year, Tommy Eichenberg wasn't Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers wasn't Steel Chambers. So we thought, as Buckeye fans, that C.J. Hicks might get on the field early, and he really didn't. He, he rarely saw the field at all. Played a lot of special teams, and I think gave good effort on special teams. That's how he got hurt late in the year. But he looked like a productive Ohio State linebacker on Saturday, or he had all the makings of one. You know, he was credited with... Uh, I don't know how many tackles because I, I forgot to pull that up in front of me, but two pass breakups probably should have had both. And, and that's why he plays linebacker, but where he needed to be, he was in the mix on a bunch of different tackles playing with great energy. Dudes were hyping him up and, you know, vice versa. He was giving guys that energy right back. It's going to be difficult in a two linebacker system, but C.J. Hicks, I think, is another guy you got to get on the field, regardless of whether or not he's a true sophomore and who's in front of him. Um, and, and, and like the corners, too, it, it's not that Cody Simon played poorly at all, but I, I want to see C.J. Hicks on the field because of what I saw Saturday. I thought he was, uh, you know, a really top – he was a top performer out there. Here's a hot take. He's going to be the third linebacker in the pecking order by the time we get to August. And I hope one he is. Of the starters, yeah, and I, I think if one of the starters goes down, you're not going to see a drop-off. You know, obviously they're both battling injuries now, and if for some reason they, they continue to battle the same injuries or something happens in the fall and they, they miss a couple weeks, I think Hicks comes in. Now he's a different style linebacker than like Eichenberg, right? But he's still going to be productive, and I, I'm excited. I, I don't want anybody to get hurt, but I'm excited to see him get some snaps. Yeah, we don't know how football smart he is yet, but it's it's pretty evident that Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers are slightly different linebackers. It looks like Sonny Styles might be able to split the, or I'm sorry, CJ Hicks might be able to split the difference. I think CJ Styles could, or Sonny Styles could too, for what it's worth. If you if CJ Styles, CJ Styles would be a phenomenal football player. Just let me tell you. Yeah, that that would be a really good hybrid, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, those guys are just really special athletes. Does that mean that I'm still going on the uh, on the snake? Am I up with my last stock up here? Yeah, we both got one pick left. I'll let you have this one. Okay. My last pick is not one of the young guys that we have primarily focused on. Um, I play dirty. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So... Uh, my last stock up guy is going to be a third year player, and that's Denzel Burke. Freshman All American two years ago. Stock sort of plummeted last year. I think, I, I don't know if plummeted is fair to say, but, uh, you know, investors were worried uh, about the, uh, the longevity of Denzel Burke and, and, you know, his stock floor, but. He looked to be back, and and I know that this is a scrimmage. We've talked about the the quarterback who he was going against for most of the time, but he was on these Ohio State wide receivers. He had at least two pass breakups. He looked to be playing with a renewed confidence, a renewed uh, you know energy. He looked like the guy we saw two years ago, and. Again, you've heard coaches and even his peers talk about a different mentality that he has had this year um, about his business. And I don't know if that's Igbenosin and other guys rubbing off on him. I don't know if that's the 
increased competition, but he seems to be taking all the right steps and he looked really good on Saturday. You know, he was competitive. He broke up a really, um, it was a bit underthrown, but he didn't give up on a deep ball to Jaden Ballard that we brought up earlier. He, he looked solid. And if we get 2021 Denzel Burke back, that's going to help out this secondary a lot. So he's the last stock up guy for me. I don't know that I've been this excited about Ohio State cornerbacks in a while. And we've been produced prior to the last two years. They were producing a first-round pick every year. I'm really excited about what Burke looks like and what he can do. We obviously know he has the talent because he did it as a freshman. This, These guys with Jordan Hancock, it, it's going to be fun to watch, and I think they're going to take a lot of pressure off of other parts of the defense by giving them that extra second to cover. So I couldn't be more more uh, in agreement with you. He was a great pick. However... Chuck, hold on. Before you move on, and I, I'm... I'm putting you on the spot here. I'm calling a little bit of an audible, but because you brought it up, do you think if these guys play the way we did Saturday, do you think that that nickel spot, that third safety spot, could possibly become a third, a more consistent third corner spot to get Burke, Igmanosin, and Hancock all on the field, or am I just reading into way too much of a scrimmage right now? I don't think so, just because. Jim Knowles doesn't play like that, right? I know he's yeah, given fair. up the jack. He's given up the jack position, but he's done that in the past as well, right? He he's had stops where he's not ran a jack position. He's never not ran three safeties, so unfortunately, no. But I I do think this gives them the opportunity to get these guys all reps and rotate early, so that. It's the same thing as C.J. Hicks, right? If one of the linebackers go down, to me, C.J. Hicks is going to step in and perform just as admirably. If one of these cornerbacks gets hurt over 15 games, I don't think losing one of the three is going to make a difference when it comes to production level of that position group. Yeah, and, that, and that's fair. I, I called notable real quick. I, I share the same opinion. I, just, I think that there are a lot of good DBs on the field, and I don't want Ohio State to restrict themselves in any way uh, as far as getting the best players on the field. But um, I, I was not a courteous host. I interrupted. You've got the the, the last pick here, the Mr. Irrelevant for, for spring game stock up, guys. That's a mouthful. Who you got? This young man couldn't be less irrelevant. They say he's 252 pounds. There's no way Kenyatta Jackson's 252 pounds. You're a bastard. My, man, my man's 275 pounds of muscle, if I've ever seen it. He is an absolute terror and was a terror all day Saturday. He was collapsing the line on run plays. He was stunning. He was, he was all over the field. Jack Sawyer, better continue the, the progression he's making or he's going to have to really answer for snaps uh, on his side of the, the defensive line because Kenyatta Jackson's coming to get some snaps. I agree with you and disagree with you. Here's why. I agree with you all the things that you said about Kenyatta Jackson. I wrote about him uh, you know, for the website previously. But where I do disagree is I don't know that he will have to fight for snaps. 
or that Jack Sawyer will have to fight for snaps. I think they will just be given snaps because think about the rotation last year. You know, Zach Harrison's gone, and look, Zach Harrison, fine ball player, but did not offer the same explosiveness. Javante John Baptiste is gone, really gave you a whole lot of nothing, but saw the field anyway. So I just think that those top three are going to see the field constantly in some sort of like iteration rotation. But yeah, I mean, Kenyatta Jackson is a dude. Like he looks like a transformer out there. Like his shoulders, I know you can't see me right now, but like perfect right angles going out. I mean, he is yoked. So, uh, and, and he was impressive. He looked good in like the student appreciation day and things like that. And then it continued over to the scrimmage or to the, you know, the spring game. So that's a good last pick. You're right. I don't think that he will be irrelevant because Kenyatta Jackson looks like a stud out there. I can't wait to see the line get into another rotation and just start sending waves of guys at these quarterbacks and these offensive lines and see if they can get back to just wrecking havoc on offensive lines like we've seen in the past when we've had these three, four, five, six pass rushers that can just pin their ears back and go get it. It's that Rushman package that they always talk about and we always want to see that's not actually deployed. You know, Zach Harrison moved inside a little bit last year, and you can see that here and there. But if you go, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but if you go left to right and you're looking at JT Tui Maloau, Mike Hall Jr., uh, Ty Leak Williams, Ty Hamilton, some sort of conge- uh, you know configuration there, then you've got Sawyer and Kenyatta Jackson. Like You've got six, seven guys who can really get after it. And I'm including Ty Hamilton. I think he's a, a, a little bit better of a run stopper than he is a pass rusher, but he's equally adept at both. So there are a lot of exciting pieces up front. And I think you and I share the, the same opinion that we're going to see a lot of those guys rotated in. That's our stock up draft. I think we did six picks each back and forth. We didn't want to be negative. We don't want to harp on guys too much because, after all, look, this was a spring game, but we did want to go over a couple of guys who are stock down players for us, and we're not going to hammer them. It's more in relation to the other guys around them, but and we're not going to draft these either. We're going to go a little more rapid fire. So as far as stock down, I want to start with a guy that I've never wanted to start with as far as stock down, but call him a victim of circumstance, bad health, being Wally pipped, whatever. Julian Fleming, my man. Um, I, I, I founded Fleming Island. I have held massive amounts of real estate on the island, but you're talking about a guy who can't stay healthy, did not play in the spring game, and is watching guys like Carnell Tate, Jaden Ballard, and even, even Noah Rogers take snaps, make plays. So I, I just think more circumstance more than anything, I'm stocked down on Julian Fleming. And it hurts. I, I'm sure it hurts you, and, and I agree. And I don't think it's going to keep him off the field if he's healthy, but it's probably the, the revelations are going to be coming that his snap count's going to not be where he would want it to be because these guys are proving that, hey, they, they need some snaps too. And it's not coming off the first two guys on the the pecking order, right? It's going to be his snaps. So even with healthy, 
if he's a third of the third receiver snaps, that's probably a healthy number for him now. He's just not going to be that third guy that's on the field every single play now. Unless something changes and he gets healthy and he's just dynamite come fall, you're probably right, unfortunately. I pitched this in our our Slack conversation. I I didn't mean it, but I don't not mean it. I think Ohio State could load manage their wide receivers. And maybe the number is six for Julian Fleming. Like, he starts six games and is productive. Marv, it might hurt his his trophy chances, but maybe route man Marv plays nine games. Um, You know, Emeka Buka plays ten. I don't really mean that, but I think there's enough depth and talent there to where they could. But, yeah, I mean, it's just you bring in five-star after five-star after top ten guy, like, just – the attrition is going to get the best of some guys, and I, you're, I'm with you. I don't. Uh, I think that a, Jul- a healthy Julian Fleming will still get some reps, but I don't think he will get the full complement. There are just too many guys behind him. So another stock down guy, and played is healthy as far as we know, but more so because of the guys around him. <clears throat> I'm stocked down on Dallin Hayden. I believe he had 12 carries for 30 yards in the spring game. You can talk about the offensive line in front of him. You can talk about the defensive line on the other side of the ball, but just did not look explosive, did not break any big plays. And conversely, Chip Trainum had a 65-yard touchdown and just looked a little bit better out there. So ultimately, I think there's a spot for most of these guys just because of the the health or lack thereof of most running backs, but Dallin Hayden was, you know, up here at one point last year. I wouldn't say he's all the way down at the bottom of the pecking order, but he's closer than he was after, you know, a couple of his standout performances last year. So I'm a stock down, unfortunately, on Dallin Hayden as well. Yeah, and that can easily change, right? Because we did see a bunch of injury issues last year, and that's why we were ever stock up on him was because of the injury issues. So that could change. But if there aren't any injury issues, I think he's in that 4-5 range in the pecking order for carries. And Ryan Day's not a 40-carry kind of head coach for his running back, so... That doesn't lead to a lot of playing time. Well, he so, was in the spring game, but that's because the quarterbacks couldn't throw the damn ball. I think they had 42 carries, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and that's not – he's just not going to do that. You're right. right. You're if, right. If we, have the, if we have the quarterback issues we have in the fall, we're, well, it's a completely different conversation. Dallin Hayden's the least of the concerns at that point. But, yeah, he's just in a, a room that – has five guys and and he might be five right now. He might be one by November though, because he was one last November. So we'll see. I agree. He didn't look great in the spring and uh, his counterpart did. So unfortunately that, I mean, that's just the way it goes, right? If one guy's up, the other guy's got to be down. For sure. So a couple position guys there, Uh, you know, we don't want to go two hours. So, with this last sort of the last thing we'll do for stock down, I'm going to go position group and I'm going to just sort of speak my piece and I'll throw it back over to Chuck. The offensive line as a whole, 
not great. Now, we did give a stock up to Carson Hensman. I think that was deserved. And we're confident in the guards. But I think we lack, significantly lack, confidence in the tackles. And then I think because of that and because of the newness, I, I have a little bit of concern about sort of the cohesiveness of that unit. The offensive line just did not look great on Saturday, and I hope that they come around. There's pl still plenty of time to do so. If we're looking at individual players, um, Josh Fryer got beat at least once in his defense. It was by JT Tuimaloa, the play that I'm thinking of. It was early. Zed Mikowski, I did not see him beat a number of times, but I have to imagine he was on the right side when Kenyatta Jackson was applying some pressure. And then as far as Tegra Shibola goes, Shibola, look, I'm not an offensive line expert, but I was high on this guy. He's from Cincinnati where Chuck is from, where a lot of my family is from. So I just like I took a natural interest in the guy. So I was trying to watch him a lot. Tegra Shibola looked like a guard to me. And I know that Ohio State has flirted with him as a guard. And I know that he had one of, if not the key blocks for the Chip Trainum long touchdown run. But other than that, he looked slow to me. And that's why I say he looks like a guard. He did not look tackle quick, tackle fast to me. And so you lump those three guys together. Chuck, I don't know if you feel differently, but I think there are some... Again, let's not overreact. Let's not call them concerns. There are question marks on the perimeter of this Ohio State offensive line based on what we saw Saturday. So stock down for a couple of guys and as a unit for me. This goes back again. I think we've got a Ryan Day's turning over a new leaf and giving us the truth a lot more than we really think he is because he has stated before the spring game that they're going to be eyeballs in the portal on offensive linemen, that they are not done taking a look. I don't think they're just going to take anybody, but there's a couple of guys that have SEC and Big 12 experience at tackle out there now. So I would be shocked if they don't talk to both of them or at least try to get both of them on campus and have conversations because – it's a concern, and we've seen when Ohio State has offensive line problems, it completely limits what they can do offensively. And we've seen when they have great offensive lines, what it does for them. Last year, having that offensive line was paramount to C.J. Stroud's ability to push the ball down the field. And the year before, when they had four tackles on the field, it was a completely different concept not only for him, but also in the run game. So it's, I'm with you. It's a concern, and I'm not convinced that every tackle that is going to play for Ohio State is on the roster currently. If not, that's a big indictment of what they have because if they thought they had three guys and those three guys that could be the three tackles, two starters, or the swing, they probably wouldn't be out there peeking around, but they are, and – it's it's a concern because it's an very important. It's an indictment on Coach Stud, Craig Studrawa, that the recruiting was not what it needed to be outside of a few big hits 
under him. And, you know, this is Justin Fry's He's new to the program, and he's off to a really good start with this 2024 class we've seen. But he needs time to develop his guys or guys that he inherited too. So hopefully they continue to have that time allotted to them. But, yeah, not great, man. And it's not like the guys that we saw were two-star, three-star recruits. They're talented, but... A lot of work to do. My hope is that they just they didn't look good against Ohio State's defensive line. That's what I'm closing my eyes and you know telling myself. But you know I thought Fryer Fryer didn't really stand out to having any you know as far as having a a poor spring game. But there were a couple reps where he didn't look great, and that was the one guy I thought they could count on because he did look really good last year. But Maybe that's some of the guys surrounding him and the opponent. I think it was Indiana, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that he started a game against at, at right tackle, no less. So it was very different, but um, I, I was hoping that we would see better from him. So before I do some recruiting stuff, Chuck, did I miss anybody? Was there anyone else that you were stock up or down on real quick that we just we missed out on? Are you ready to move on? No, nobody's stocked down. I do think we didn't see anything out of the safeties, but I also think that was mainly because the offense didn't push the ball down the field and the defensive line was really good. So I'm hoping that's why, but we didn't see anything out of them. That's Even if we did, I still wouldn't have been stock up on them. They, they were such a hole at the end of the year that we're going to – you're not you're gonna not hurt me again until I see something in a, a game that means something. So besides that, I think we we covered it all and we nailed it. Uh, there's just no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, this draft is gonna go up there with um, <clears throat> gosh, it's the 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 Cincinnati Bengal, what would it have been the 29 or the 20 draft with Burrow Higgins and Logan Wilson? Uh, that was 19, sir. Yeah, the 19 draft, this draft that we just had for stock up, stock down is going to be comped to that one um, in the future. But just to close it out real quick, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't bring up some of the recruiting wins for Ohio State on the trail. So right after, well, no, one before, one after the game, Ohio State picked up another two commitments in the 2024 class. First was tight end Max LeBlanc. I did not pull up all of his metrics, but I think he's a 6'6", 225 guy out of Tennessee. Uh, I believe he's Canadian, which is nice. And the number 13 tight end in the 2024 class. um, Good stats last year at his Tennessee school. He had something like 700 yards receiving, three touchdowns. Looks like a big athletic sort of guy. I have not yet dug in, but... Big win there for tight end U. Uh, we got Jelani Thurman in the class this year. Max LeBlanc, good one coming in next year. So good job there by the newest full-time coach at Ohio State, Coach Key, which I know separate conversation. Chuck's rolling his eyes at me. But the second commitment of the week, Sam or the weekend, Sam Williams Dixon out of, uh, I think it's, it's Millersburg West Holmes. He played at a very small high school, sort of a Evan Pryor all-purpose type. He can run it. He can catch it. 
but he will be transferring, or he has transferred and will be playing at Pickerington North this year. So much bigger school, much higher profile. He is only number 677 overall in the class, but his stats were ridiculous at his small school. And if he's able to reach 80-90% of that production out of school like Pickerington North, his stock and his ranking is going to skyrocket. So he also gives Ohio State two running backs in this class, which is a good, nice number to have, along with the kid out of Texas whose name is escaping me right now. But all good things. Ohio State is now, depending on the service you look at, up to number one in the 2024 recruiting rankings because Georgia just today lost a five-star tight end. So all good things on that trail right there. Chuck, I'm sure you haven't dug in yet on these guys, but anything to add about Max LeBlanc and or Sam Williams-Dixon? Sam Williams-Dixon, 677 now. He's probably 500 the next time it comes out just simply because he committed to Ohio State. And once <laughs> yeah, you're probably into, right. Right, once he starts playing for in Pickerington, he's going to end up being a four-star guy, in my opinion, because he he's only that low because he played at a small school completely unrelated we're both idiots and joe burrow was the 2020 draft so you can admit your faults i said both of those years as an option and i said 19 with conviction and i was certain i was right and i was completely wrong but since i did so well in the stock up draft i figure it kind of balances me out sure it does and and closing with humility also earns you points but uh, I, I think that's going to be it for this week, guys. Um, appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoyed the stock up and somewhat of a stock down draft. Next week, the tentative plan is to do some more draft stuff. Um, maybe the next two pods, really, depending on when we record. The NFL draft is obviously April 27th, so about 10 days from now. I don't know. I'm feeling maybe some predictions, uh, you know who's going to fall to the Bengals sort of thing, make it a homer pod for Chuck and I. But, um, yeah, unless Chuck's got anything else to add, he's telling me he does. Tell the people what they want to hear, Chuck. What else you got? Hey, so I've been on two podcasts now, and I am 2-0 on podcast, just so everybody knows. I've won two in a row. That's that one more. They call that a winning streak. This is not wins and losses. I mean, we did a draft, and the first one was sort of take-oriented, but I, I don't want the pod to come between our friendship, you know. Um, you, you've won and lost your fair share throughout the years, but we're, we're going to become a cohesive unit. I'm going to make that head shrink a little bit. Not everything can be a win for C.T. Holmes III. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, it's been a, a good first two episodes, and I'm really excited to get into some NFL stuff because I think that this draft is going to be an interesting one, and, from the, the sounds of it, it's going to be very interesting or potentially interesting for at least C.J. Stroud if you've seen or heard any of the stuff out there. So that's what's on deck for next week, guys. As always, go and like, rate, review, and or subscribe to the podcast. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley, and as always, go Bucks.